children are excused. Father, this morning we come as we prepare to open your word, Lord, to ask you to open our minds, our ears, our hearts, Lord, that we could receive from you this morning. Through your Holy Spirit working in us, we've been talking about transforming our minds, renewing our minds, Lord. Uh, we ask that that's what you would do through your spirit this morning as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We're going to uh, be sharing from Romans chapter 12 this morning, and uh, I want to put the full context of these uh, few verses that were the one verse really that we're going to focus on this morning is actually verse 3, but I want to put it into full context, so uh, starting with uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and going through uh, verse 8. Paul writing, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does, not, uh, who does acts of, of mercy with cheerfulness. We'd already gone through chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, and, and we've, the understanding that chapter 12 is the beginning of this uh, section of Romans that deals with our Christian life and our Christian walk together. And so uh, we've already talked about the, the, the picture of, of God as, as we come to him offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Notice again, I emphasize it every time I say it, I guess, but living sacrifice, alive for Christ. That has power in, it, in and of itself, a living sacrifice. And we're alive in, because of Christ as well. So all of that tied together. And, and to... The purpose is to ask God to transform us. Again, that picture of change us from the inside out. Not just that we change our outside habits and the way we do things. Uh, how often Paul says, put off this and put on this. Okay, But in order to do that from the inside out, it requires that we literally be transformed. Not just a changed mind, but a transformed mind. A different way of thinking about things. And he uses the term that's a renewed mind, a renewal of your mind, a renovation, an overhaul, uh, a, a complete you know, uh, remodel, if you will, in the sense of, of, of who we are and how we think. So that all the things that I, I use the phrase often, the, all the things that are on our belief window as to how to meet our needs and things begins to change because God influences. Instead of thinking of ourselves, we start to think of others. Instead of... of, of uh, uh, looking to saying, and which is what we'll get into this morning, how, how successful I've been, we look at and say how God has saved me and blessed me. And we, we see the, the, the transference of, 
of all the blessings that God has given, not because of something that I've done or that I deserve, but because of what God has done and who he is. And so that's what we get into this, in this verse uh, 3. And again, I'd like to read it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to think of himself more highly, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I don't know if I, if I, if I just wanted to eliminate that or what. Uh, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What he's really saying here is that we need to be able to give ourselves a proper self-exam. In other words, how to assess who we are in this world today with Christ as our Savior. So that's what Paul's focus is here. Uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, is what he says. In other words, we're not to think of ourselves, does, by the way, it's an interesting thing, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Does it mean it's okay to think about ourselves? <laughs> to some degree, yeah, but in what capacity? And it's, it's the idea of comparing us to the grace, the mercy, the, the, the faith that Christ has put into us. Our tendency in this world, look at what I have done. Uh, I was just uh, talking with somebody this last week, student at a HSU, uh, who was commenting on uh, a uh, class that uh, was being taken up there, dealing with, uh, in the sociology and, and psychology department, the idea was, you know, basically, if you don't, toot, it came down to the old idea, if you don't toot your horn, nobody else is going to, so you better, you know, draw attention to yourself and your achievements and Basically have that attitude. Look what I've done. Look what I have accomplished. And I was thinking about it. Uh, in fact, my son Chris and I were going over some of this because he was having to, to fill out uh, things for the scholarships. And everything in the scholarship was, what have you done? Look what I have done. This is what I have done. And, you know, there's no room there for humility, if you will. It's, 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 you know, you've got to present yourself with all of your achievements. And uh, I thought of a, of a friend of mine in Southern California. When you walk into his office, uh, he has every certificate he's ever received on anything hanging on his wall. So much so that the actual important ones, which would be his diplomas and, and, and graduate degrees, uh, are almost lost. But, but uh, he has to hang his, his degrees because of the profession he's in. But as far as the rest of it, it was just kind of like, I want you to know that you're, you're in good hands or, or you know, I, I'm a person that can, you know, whatever. And, and so uh, it, it says, uh, you know, uh, look at what I have done. So that's kind of the worldly way. But even as Christians, we can kind of get sidetracked on this same thing of look at me as well and say, look at how God has blessed me. and draw attention to ourselves. I recall sitting in a, you know, in a situation where someone was pointing out uh, how uh, he was going to show us something. He says, I can't show it to you today because I wanted to sell it and it just sold instantly. Because, And I know that God did that because we tithed X number of dollars last week. And God has already blessed us back with this by selling it for us. And I'm not opposed to giving God the glory for moving there. But you see how he twisted that, just that little twist to point out and say, 
And so he could have just said simply, oh, I can't show it to you. God's, God bless me. We got it sold. And we could have said, hallelujah. But he says, because, look at me, what I did. Look at what I can do, <laughs> thanks to God. You know, we can even get carried away. Uh, we even make the, the, the statement, and I'm cautious how I do this, because uh, there's, there's such a truth in it. But we can even get caught up with, and we've all heard the phrase possibly, used it more than once. But for the grace of God, there go I. Now, if you're using it with the idea of self-exam and compassion for situation, that's one thing. But to be standing where someone else and look over across the street and at something that, that's, you know, not right or, or something that draws your attention and it's, it's, it's inappropriate behavior or something... Yeah, but for the grace of God, there go I. You know, it, it comes back to almost like that Pharisee who was praying at the altar who said, God, I am so glad you didn't make me like that guy over there. The, you know, the, 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 the one who collects the taxes. He calls himself a Jew, but he's a tax collector. What a hypocrite. God said, as the tax collector was pouring out his heart and saying, God, forgive me. Who had examined himself properly, by the way? That's what Jesus said because he said, who went away from the altar blessed, basically? It wasn't the Pharisee. The idea is, is, is what God, one of the biggest, hardest things to do in the renewal of our mind is to move away from a me-centered life. First off, that is natural fallen man. We all have it. Anybody who says they don't have it is not being honest. We all have it creeping in there, around in there, okay? It's where we, we, even though we have Christ in our lives, we keep ourselves on the throne and, and Christ kind of in the circle. And occasionally, we, as we start to have mature, the mind gets renewed, and more and more parts of our life, Christ sits on the throne and we are at his feet. And that's the, 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 the goal of this idea of renewing our mind. And so as we, we look at this as self-exam, sober judgment is one of the things that he says here, which means sound judgment or sound assessment. Actually, quite easily, it means right-minded. <laughs> Have a right mind about yourself. I didn't like that, really. Um, because that hit home the hardest of them. Have a right mind about yourself. You realize how well you do know yourself. And actually, when you sit down and just you know take a second, you sit back and you think where your walk is with the Lord. And if you're bold enough to pray and add to it, which normally you don't even have to because it already the process has already started, you start thinking about where you fall short or what you've said to someone or what you haven't said to someone, you know, whatever. And, and as a result, uh, what, what Paul is saying is we need to self-examine so that we don't elevate ourselves, but we see ourselves as we are, a right or a proper self-exam, sober, right-minded way of looking at ourselves. The ability to see the world also as it really is in us, that's still in us, and around us. Uh, so to do this, We need something. 
This is, again, another thing you cannot do by yourself. If you depend on your own strength to get right-minded before God, we know we can't do that, can we? We can't please God. What does it take to please God? We read it just a minute ago, chapter 11, verse 6 of, of, of Hebrews. What does it take to please God? Faith. Okay? To be saved, what does it take? Faith. And so here's this picture of, of faith here as well, in order to get right-minded about how we look at ourselves. Notice that the focus here isn't to look at other people. That's so much easier. Uh, you know, look at ourselves. We need a measure of faith for that, too. And this measure of faith, I don't think is, is you've got more than he's got less or whatever. Measure of faith is just simply that God has measured out the faith we need to be able to do this if we will rest in him. He's assigned, a, 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 it, it, the word measure here could also be to assign or to, to meter out, <laughs> by the way, but, you know, but, but measure out. Uh, assign, bestow, give a, a, a faith in order to be able to do this. And I thought about where would, the, where would this faith apply? How would I uh, uh, you know, see it in action? And it just kind of is like this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I have a faith that I never had as a non-believer. That's to approach the throne of God. I never thought I needed to as a non-believer, so that's really almost moot. But I, in faith, because of what Christ has done for me, my faith in that, because I know what Christ has done, he has set the record straight, and as a result, through Christ, God is pleased with me. I, in faith, can approach the throne of God. And what do I approach for? His mercy and his grace. Why do I need that? Because I've still got sins and I've still got problems. And so I can boldly come approach the throne of God for his mercy and grace and, and, and part of that is the, the boldness, if you will, to ask God and, and, and to come from a point where it becomes a reality I want to know uh, who I really am in the sense of standing before his throne. I can actually quote a Psalm 139 at the end of the Psalm, search me, O Lord, <laughs> find if there be what? Any wicked way in me. What were the odds, by the way, of praying that prayer and finding a wicked way? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's the idea is, is that are are we willing to do this? And God even gives us the faith to say, I I I I I want to. Do, he builds it all into us to do it. We need to now act, though. Have you ever noticed sometimes how how because some things have been dragging, that it's sometimes hard to approach the throne of God. Other than in the cursory sorts of ways, but. But, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, by the way, pray, pray for Diane. You know, I bring Diane to you, Lord. Uh, she's got 102 temperature this morning, and we just ask that she bring strength and healing to her. You know, and, and, and that type of thing. But to come to that kind of prayer where you stand before the Lord and, and asking him to mold you and to change you and to, you know, and it's kind of like, well, I know that this sin has been active in my life over here, and I'm embarrassed about it, and I just kind of don't want to bring that challenge before him. Why? By the way, this is a good thing. Not that the sin is there, but there's a good thing happening here. What's happening? I'm being convicted of my sin. 
That wouldn't happen without the Holy Spirit being at work here. So as I'm convicted of my sin, it comes back to that point. Lord, not only confessing this sin, but Lord, open my mind to the things that need to grow, to change. Help me. Kind of leads us right back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Change me, transform me, renew my mind. The source of the faith, period, God. Ephesians chapter 2, when it says you are saved by grace through faith, God's gift. The, the, the verses that were read this morning also from Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 11 uh, kind of help understand this in the sense of, of the, just the first three verses. Paul, uh, writing, uh, I believe Paul, uh, writing to the Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. When people quote this verse as to, well, somebody says, well, you believe in faith, and what is faith? And, and you quote this verse to a non-believer, they're saying, see, pie in the sky, there's nothing there. I mean, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Some people will look at that, and a lot of people look at that and say, well, that's, that's what we're talking about. You're, you're, you're just wishing. That's not what this really says. If, if it wasn't for, it, because of the third verse, because we understand that the universe was created by the world. We already realized something that Paul had pointed out in Romans earlier, that nature reveals who God is and requires a thought about him in the sense of intelligence behind the, the creation, because we already see the logic of there being a God, we, we, are, we are drawn to this conclusion. And okay, so there's a better way to look at this. The word assurance here used for the assurance of things hoped for, literally a setting under something as a foundation. The word assurance is literally the taking something and setting it under like we would concrete for a foundation to build on, something solid, sturdy, that won't move. Now, who's the foundation, by the way? God, Christ. The foundation, the rock. Okay, not the shifting sand, the rock. Okay, and so we have this, this assurance. What is it that we're looking at? Just by the very things that we look at through nature, we have an assurance that there is a God. That draws our logic towards thinking in that way. That already changes the whole way we perceive everything else. You realize if you believe, even if you won't accept the Bible, if you believe in intelligent design, you're, you're in, a, in a whole other place than the majority of the people in the world as far as the secular education goes. So we have this drawing us in, this assurance a foundational thing. And as we draw in it, as God gives us the faith, as he brings us into a saving relationship, he opens our eyes to the word, and we now we see the word, and we can see it's logical. 
this, this, this leads to this, this, this. And, and I always come back to just simple little things that finally came to give me the confidence in the bodily resurrection was if there had been a tomb with a body still in it, the Romans and the Jews both would have produced it. The Jews against their, their law of, uh, of opening up the grave, you know, type of thing, they would have produced it. Why? Because that would have put the whole thing to rest. The other one, the, the excuse that was used, oh, well, the disciples stole it. How do you know? Well, we saw it. Well, well. So up to a, a cohort, which would be like, not a cohort, but a, a group, a unit of 16, possibly as many as 16, eight probably, but possibly 16 soldiers, trained, <laughs> battle-geared, <laughs> guarding the tomb, couldn't catch up with, with, with men carrying a, 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 a dead body. Doesn't weigh. There's really an empty tomb. And as you start to think about it, and you realize the things that have happened since then, the, the things that God has done, the miracles that you see, and it all comes down to this. this we're not, uh, this, there's an assurance here that, that is, I'm not just pie in the sky, leaping a blind leap of faith. I've got something to hang on my reasoning. And it makes sense. And so that's that assurance of things hoped for. By the way, what am I hoping for? I'm hoping for everything that Jesus promised. How can I be sure that he's going to do it? I just shared with you, an empty tomb, death, burial, and resurrection. I'm confident in that. That's my foundation. Paul says that is our foundation, by the way. And so that's the foundation of what I believe. And as a result, I'm hoping for what he promised because he, he proved it. And so I hope for what he has promised. Eternal life. All the things. That's my foundation. And so then this word conviction here is because you have seen the evidence, you have come to a conclusion. Okay, you've seen the evidence, so you have come to a conclusion. And I'm under the, the, the that though I haven't seen it with my own eyes, it is it is what is. I haven't seen the resurrection. I didn't see Jesus with my own eyes. But based on the, the evidence that we have that deals with it, the scriptures, the prophecies, the Old Testament stuff, all of it as it comes together, I look at it and I rest with a confidence, a conviction that the foundation I'm standing on is real. And as a result, even though I haven't seen it, you can tell me that you, you haven't seen it. I can say, yeah, but I know it. I'm confident. I believe it. So what he's really saying here is that there's a body of evidence that has laid the foundation for my conviction. And I put it very simply for me. There's a body of evidence that has laid the foundation for my conviction in John 3.16. So every time somebody holds that up on TV in a baseball game, football game, basketball game, whatever, and, and they, they, they hold up John 3.16, I can say amen. So be it. God has indeed shown it, proved it, and, and, and demonstrated over and over and over again. He so loves the world that he has given his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. I can, and I know that's a paraphrase, but I just, yeah, I can hang on to that with confidence. Death, burial, resurrection. There's an empty tomb. It's real. It's historical. And I am so sure I have a conviction about it. In fact, my conviction is so strong with that, that I can, I can read to you 
with confidence a section of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to you. For we know that at the tent that is our earthly home, that's this body, is destroyed. Isn't that what everybody fears? Death? That means, you know, that's the idea of destroy. You're, the, the, if this body is destroyed, this earthly tent is destroyed, that's, isn't that what the world lives in fear of? Isn't that what we strive to avoid? Even as believers, there's a prudent part of things we do to keep ourselves as healthy as we possibly can and to be, you know, use science and, and, and things to, to extend our lives. I mean, you know me, don't you? <laughs> How many heart surgeries have I had? Two. If I had not had them, would I be here today? Well, somebody could say, by faith, you might have been. But, but, but by a logical progression of things, the doctor says basically on a, on a Thursday that he did the angiogram, he says, well, what are you doing Tuesday? You know, and I said, that's after the weekend after the wedding and, and, and that, I, uh, that I wanted to do. So I said, I guess I'm going to be here. <laughs> he says, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, it's not, those aren't wrong things to do. But there's a point where I can still rest even going into the surgery. I could rest with an absolute confidence. If this were to fail, I win. Because G, Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see how the, these assurance, these things hoped for, conviction, I have a faith that allows this to be a part of who I am. So when I read this, we know that we have a tent that earthly home is, even if it's destroyed, we have, in a promise, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. If indeed, uh, you know, we look at it this way, it says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not, to be, uh, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Every time I say that, I repeat it. What is mortal, this, may be swallowed up by what is really life, eternally. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. As I take a proper opportunity to examine myself, I realize I fall short. But I have the promise that God is going to see me through. And in the process, I can, I can rest with a confidence that he's going to get me there. And that's kind of the where I came here. But I fall short. This is what God's promised, but I fall short. Meaning... If I sit back and do a proper self-examination, I come to a very obvious conclusion that I do not, in my merit, deserve this. Not only because I have sinned, past tense, before Christ came into my life, but I've sinned since then. I see my sin. That's what self-examination is supposed to do, by the way. 
so we can see our sin. But we have what John wrote in his first letter. If we are faithful to confess, if we are, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confession, by the way, is part of offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Amazing how it all keeps coming back. It's part of the process of being transformed, renewed. There are things today, and I've shared this many times with you over the years, there are things today that I am more aware of as sin than I was 30 years ago. And it has nothing to do with stuff that you can see, but just stuff that goes on in my own mind, in my own heart, that's the, the stuff that's the deepest root in some ways. And I've, always, I've used many times in here my artichoke example, when you get to the heart of the, of the matter, and, and the, you want to get to the heart, but you, the, the final cleansing comes, and what has to happen? You have to scrape out all the thistle. And you normally take a, you can take a knife, if you cut it, that, that, think of that as, as God cleaning you. It's a brutal process, and, and, it, and it's the one that hurts the most. And that's, we, that's as God reveals to us, even as we get older, things that we didn't even realize until some maturity happened, some, some transformation occurred, some, some renewal and renovation occurred. And we said, oh, gosh, now I get it. Oh, my. <laughs> but we don't have to give up now. We don't have to say, oh, gee, now what do I do? Tied to all this faith is this picture of if I will confess sincerely as a living sacrifice offer myself to God, he forgives me. He restores me. He renews me, transforms me. Now, I, I found a, a, an example that's always been very close, very personal to me in my heart. That's Peter. Peter was put through a rather extreme self-examination. He didn't even ask for it. But there was a point where he had to sit down and do it because of the circumstances that led him there. Peter held himself in high esteem. We all know that. And at a point in time, in the, as they were approaching Jerusalem, just days before or weeks before the cross, Jesus talks about how he's going there and he's and and and, and you know, die and all, and 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 Peter says no, and he rebuked Jesus. This is he's already confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He, he's already yielded to that context and, and, and seen. And then when Jesus says something, he says, "No, no, I refuse to accept that. I rebuke." In fact, Jesus, if anything like that were to occur, you know, it'd have to go through me. Very powerful picture. Offered in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. 31. 22, verse 31. <laughs> Simon, Simon. Can you, can you see this? You know, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. 
Behold, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. <laughs> Satan's demanded that of every one of us, by the way. And God's allowed it under these same circumstances. Why? Because we've become aware of our weaknesses and our need for his strength. Our inability and his ability. Our, 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 our lack of, 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 of strength and ability, his, his ability to come in and, and take it. So this whole picture of, of needing to, to build our faith, God allows us to be confronted. But look at what he says in verse 32. But I have prayed for you. And not just prayed for you, but he says a specific prayer. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Lord, I fall short. I have failed. And God is saying, you know, Jesus is saying, I have prayed for you. And I thought, as, as all of this is coming together for me, I'm thinking, how many times has Jesus prayed for me? And then I realized, continuously. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us in the 25th verse that Jesus is the one who intercedes for us constantly before the throne of God. I wondered. I don't have any way of just, this is just me thinking. Not something from the word specifically. Has he maybe been doing this since before the foundation of the world? I mean, it's his plan before the foundation of the world. He is saved, as he says, before the foundation of the world. Is it, you know, <laughs> is it possible that he's been interceding on my behalf in that context, that way of looking at it, that part of his personality that does that, since before the foundation of the world, that my faith would not fail? And as a result, I stand here today a believer in Christ. Imperfect, falling short, but knowing that my faith is in Jesus' hands, and because of that, it's not going to fail. If it's up to me, I'm in trouble. But because it's in his hands, it's not going to fail. In fact, on top of that, he has absolutely promised that he is going to complete the work he started in me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Absolutely promised he's going to complete it. I love the, 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 the rest of this, by the way. Uh, and when you have turned. In other words, a matter of fact. Not if you turn. When you have turned. Again, or turn to the right spot here. Again, strengthen your brothers. Here's the guy that denies Jesus openly three times of the night of his crucifixion, or the, the night of his trials, the, 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 before his crucifixion. And, and, and that's not the, the other disciples ran. They didn't deny him. They just ran. He, he, he follows at a distance, and, 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 is, and, and it says Jesus looks at him after the third time that he began, and they make eye contact. It says that, that Peter went out weeping bitterly wailing 
broken. But Jesus had already prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Everything would come back together in such a way. And even though he couldn't figure it out, it was beginning to build. And, it was, and he stayed. He didn't just say, I'm done with this. He got to with the others and they, they, they gathered together. Feared of, afraid of being caught, afraid of being uh, arrested, afraid of all the things that were going to go on. But it was something that was happening and they still, and little by little through the day, Jesus starts bringing information to them that's lifting them up a little bit at a time. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's just what God does. And he restores Peter finally, in a, as some people say, in that complete picture three times, asking him to feed his sheep. When you have turned, an absolute picture of that it's going to happen, strengthen your brothers. Be the one who now was so weak that you confessed, or, or I mean rejected, uh, uh, denied. Now I want you to be the one who strengthens your brothers. Jesus prayed, interceded on Peter's behalf. Before the sin had occurred, Jesus had prayed and Brought it to, to a, a, a conclusion, actually. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus saves to the uttermost, fully, completely, without a gap. That's what uttermost means there. Fully, completely, without a gap. And he maintains our salvation by interceding for us continuously. What a picture us to go into communion with. Jesus interceding on our behalf. What would be our response? Pretty simple. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Open my eyes to me and who I really am, Lord. Because I want to be where you want me to be. I have a faith, an assurance, and a conviction in God's promises. And because I know that he's going to complete the work, because I know what he's done. Like I said, I could read those verses in, in, in 2 Corinthians. I know what's ahead. I can say with confidence, that the promises of chapter 8 of Romans are real. And it begins with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? And I put it real simple for me today, because he prayed for me. There's no condemnation for me, and I know that's bigger than that, but that's, that's what's stuck in my mind, because he prayed for me. You realize he's praying for us right now as we enter into communion. Isn't that an awesome thing? Even saying it there, I've got my goose book with me. You know, it's an amazing thought. The God of all creation, my Savior, died on the cross. All of that he's done, he is praying for us right now. I'd ask the ushers to, uh, to pass the communion out and uh, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together.
All of this that we've talked about is possible because of what Jesus did in, in giving us the memorial of, of communion and establishing it for us as a way to remember all that he has done. He literally came in the flesh, in the body, in the flesh. And so at that night of the Last Supper that he shared with the disciples, he took the bread to represent his flesh. And, and after giving thanks, he broke it, passed it to the disciples. And he said, I want you to eat this. 
And, and as often as you eat this, remember, and basically in the saying, remember me, remember I came in the flesh and was broken for you. And he asked us to do this in remembrance of him. Not only did he come in the flesh, but he poured out his blood. The life is in the blood, according to the Old and New Testament, both. And, and so he poured out his blood. He poured out his life. And so he took the cup of wine to perfectly represent that picture of his, of his blood. And he said this was poured out to purchase the covenant. He's referring to this covenant of grace we walk and live in and rest in and have our hope in. And he asked us as often as we would drink this cup to do it in remembrance of him. Father, we continue to say thank you, to worship you. But Lord, also with that idea of, of realizing that we fall short, if we sit down and we examine, we realize, Lord, we don't have the, we, we don't, don't deserve to be where we are in our relationship with you. And yet because of resting in the faith and the grace that you've poured out, and, and, and the desire, Lord, to, to, to be transformed, renewed, that you put into us, all of these things coming together in such a way that, that we have a confidence, Lord, that in spite of our failures, as we come to you and confess our sins, as we are restored to your righteousness, we realize we can come to your throne as your member of your family, literally, Anytime for mercy and grace. Not just communion, but any moment of any day, any time. And we do ask, Lord, that, that you would cause us to take time to properly examine ourselves. Take a, a, a sense of who we are before you. And, and then, Lord, allowing your Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts and to change, to transform, to renew our minds. Father, again, thanking you for the day you've blessed with us. Go with us. Cause us, Lord, to be the, the, the children of God, the men and women of God that you want us to be in every situation that is ahead of us today and through, through this week. But Lord, just very specifically, daily, that we would get that idea of, Lord, to be your person for the day ahead of us. Again, worshiping you and thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.